So how many of you would agree this is an interesting miracle? So two of you, two people. What qualifies as an interesting miracle? Just any miracle, right? All of them, right? Probably, probably the most interesting one is when Jesus spit in the dude's eyes. So there's a, there's a really popular, very uh, popular pastor of a large church a few weeks ago did an illustrated sermon. This really happened, y'all, where he, where he spit it in a dude's eyes. It was his brother, um, which I don't know how that makes it okay. Uh, so uh, I do, I, do I, I love illustrated messages, but I promise, and no offense, I mean, like, that's cool. It probably touched people's lives, hopefully in a spiritual way, not in a physical way, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's a pretty cool miracle where Jesus spit in somebody's eyes. Uh, but this one, to me, is so interesting, not just because of the miracle itself, but also because of the context surrounding it. So let me just give you some background to this story right here in Mark chapter 5. First of all, this is one of the few miracles that is recorded in all three Gospels. Now, Mark is the most detailed of the three accounts, though. Mark takes the time to tell us this woman has spent all of her money, that she's seen a bunch of doctors, and she's not gotten better, she's only gotten worse. Mark also takes a little bit of time of giving us a little more personal account of exactly what Jesus said to her. And, and the best theory that we have to come up with that is that Mark was most likely and almost absolutely certain, Mark was, was a, a guy that got his gospel account straight from the apostle Peter. Peter didn't write it, but he, Mark was somebody that was with him on their journeys, and so Peter would, would tell stories about Jesus, right? And Mark's sitting over there going like, can you say that again, Jesus? What was that? And, and, and Mark is also, one of the most common words in the gospel of Mark is immediately. It's immediately. And, and it just gives us the clue that Peter, the most impetuous of the disciples, the one that's ready to stand up and say, Jesus, I'm ready to die with you. And then just a few moments later, he denies them because a little girl asked him, hey, do you know who Jesus is, right? Mark, Mark the, the apostle who, when they come to arrest Jesus, he pulls a sword out and cuts a dude's ear off. They that Mark's my boy, okay? Like, I, 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 I get, excuse me, Peter's my boy. I get Peter. Like, I understand that. I understand making decisions and saying things and then later going, on, like going mm, shouldn't, have, shouldn't have done that. It happens to me every Sunday morning around 11 o'clock. <laughs> every Sunday, I'm like, ah, like after about 12.03, even if I'm not done with the message yet, I'm like, oh, shouldn't have said that one again. Should, shouldn't have done that. There's sometimes in the middle of the message, I'll say something, and my mind goes, oh, you just messed up, man. You just messed, you just messed up. You might as well put the microphone down and walk away right now. But, but we, here we are, right? Here we are. We're stuck in this together. You're stuck with me, and I'm, I'm blessed with you, right? Amen. Amen. So in this story, Jesus uh, has just gotten off a boat, and, and he had just cast out the legion of demons, right? You got to, the legion of demons. And he'd cast them in... <laughs> It's the, a rock band name, the Legion of Demons. I, I don't, that's not going to be on my iTunes. But anyway, um, he had just cast them out, and they went to a bunch of pigs, right? And the pigs ran down a hill, and they all drowned. And then the people came out, and they said, Jesus, you got to get out of here. You killed all our bacon. And, um, you know, like, I, I, I feel that. Like, I'd be happy for that guy, but at the same time, my bacon just got wet. And I don't know what we're going to do about that. And so they tell Jesus, you got to leave, man. We don't, we don't want your type here. So Jesus gets back in the boat, 
He goes back over to the other side. He's immediately greeted by a, name, a man named Jairus or Jairus. And I don't know exactly how to say it. Anybody who claims to know how to say it is lying because they weren't there. They don't know how he said it. Anyway, and uh, he comes up to Jesus. Now, what's interesting about Jairus is he is a leader in the synagogue. He is, a Jew. He is basically a Pharisee. And if you'll remember, Jesus doesn't have the best relationship with the Pharisees, right? But Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, my little girl is sick. She's really sick. She's 12 years old. She's really sick. Can you come to my house and pray for her? that she would be healed. Now, here's the thing. This isn't the sermon today, but just take this little thing. When desperation takes you to Jesus, Jesus doesn't, doesn't block your path to him. Like, Jesus isn't like, oh, you, now you won't. Jesus is always willing, and no matter what state of life you're in, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you said, if you go to Jesus, Jesus is happy that you're going to him. And that's such a comforting thought because there's so many times in my life I think, man, I've messed up. I've done this. I've done that. I've said this. I've said that. And then I go to pray. And I feel like, man, I can, I, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. And, and, and then, But even then, the guilt and the shame of that sin, the mistake, the, the pain, the problem, it's still, it's there. It's like talking in my ear saying, okay, God doesn't want to talk to you right now. He's mad at you. But can I tell you some good news is that God is not some petty old man up in the sky waiting to thump you every time you mess up or throw lightning bolts into you. Instead, God is a loving father who, who wants to be there for you, who wants to help you in your time of need. And that's good news, amen? That's good news. And so Jesus says, yeah, I'll go with you, even though, you know, you're part of the crowd that's trying to kill me, and, um, which we don't know Jairus' heart. We don't know how he felt about Jesus. And you got to think in this moment, he's super excited, right? He's like, yes, finally, my little girl, she's been sick for a while. And as a dad of three girls, like, I feel that story. I really feel that story. And on the way, this situation happens. And, and I just want you, I just want to remind, this isn't the message today, so just put it in your back pocket and hold on to it, that Jesus didn't show up for Jairus' daughter in time because he stopped to help somebody else that was in need. But even though Jesus didn't show up in time to heal her, he showed up in time to do what only he could do. And he walked into that room, and when he walked into that room with that little 12-year-old little girl, death had to walk out of that room. That's, that's, that's good news, Amen. Interesting connection here. And, you know, the gospel writers don't really tell us anything, but it is something that, that has always intrigued me, is how the little girl was 12 years old, and the woman with the issue of blood had been suffering with it for 12 years as well. So there's some connection there, and um, if I don't figure it out this side of eternity, I definitely plan to ask God when we get to heaven. So the first perspective I want to share with you is the perspective of the woman. The woman who... who went out and she, she, she made her way through the crowd. She thought to herself, if I could only touch his garment, if I could only touch his robe, I would be healed. This is, this is what Mark says again. We're just going to break this down verse by verse. I hope you guys are okay with that today. In verse 25 it says, again, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal for many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Now, the first thing I want to ask you today is, is there something in your life that you need God to do for you? But because you have dealt with it the way it is for so long, you have become comfortable in your discomfort. 
that you've gotten to the point where you've just accepted whatever it is as just the way it's going to be. And I have to imagine that if anybody in Scripture was tempted to just, just go ahead and say, this is what my life is going to look like. I am always going to have this problem. It would be this woman. It would be this person for 12 years. She, no doubt she had prayed and asked God to heal her body. And she had gone to many different doctors. And, 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 and the, the, the Bible says, Mark says, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors or she had endured a great deal from many doctors. And if you want to go down a really kind of scary road, start studying ancient medicinal practices and you will find out, especially when you mix that with the type of condition that she had, that this poor lady probably went through hell trying to find a cure for her sickness. And you got to think to yourself, has she just grown to the place where she thought, man, this is how it just is always going to be? And I want to tell you today that whatever it is in your life, it doesn't have to be that way. Now, you might say, oh, but, you know, Paul had a thorn in his flesh, right? And eventually God spoke to him and just said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take this thorn away. We don't know if the thorn had to do with something physically that he was dealing with, something mentally, something spiritually. could have even been relationally. We don't know what it was. But we, a lot of times we, we, we have a sickness in our life. We, we might be suffering through something relationally. We might have a problem that we're going through at work. Whatever it could be, it could be something huge, it could be something small. And a lot of times we have not because we ask not. We don't have healing because we stopped asking for healing. And you might say, well, Pastor Drew, I've prayed for healing before and I didn't get healed. And so my encouragement to you would be pray again, ask again, continue to ask. Sometimes the thing that you're believing for doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes it does, and I love those stories, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you might go through 12 years or more or less worth of trials, worth of pain, worth of problems. But what's interesting about this lady is the Bible is very specific and telling us that she had to press through the crowd. She had to work to get her miracle, to get her healing. And sometimes, and we don't like this, sometimes it will take work on our part to get the thing from God that we are wanting. And so you might say, oh, this is, you know, this is just how it is for me. I'm just like Paul. This is my thorn in the flesh. And first of all, that's so stupid. Don't say that. You sound like an idiot when you say that. Because Paul did pray three times that God would take it away until he had a vision of God Almighty saying, listen, Paul, stop asking me to do this for you. I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient. So until you have a vision from God, where God speaks audibly to you from heaven and says, I am not going to do this for you. My grace is sufficient. You need to keep on praying. You need to keep on pushing. You need to keep on asking. And you, keep, you need to keep on not being satisfied with where you are, but satisfied where you know God could take you. That's, that's good. That's good stuff. Yes, that's good stuff. I love to, I love it, I, I do love it, how Mark is very specific to say, a woman in the crowd. We don't know her name. We don't know anything about her story other than she's been sick for 12 years. We don't know how old she was. We don't know, the, 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 the most logical explanation is that she was rather young. She'd probably been in her 20s. She'd probably been suffering with this condition since around the time when she would have hit puberty. And so she's a young person, most likely. She's a woman in the crowd. She's no one special. She's just another face. 
And I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to get to the end of this story again and I'm going to show you that there is no such thing from the perspective of God of just another face, just another person, just somebody else in the crowd. That doesn't exist. You, wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, however old you are, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're male, whether you're female, you are created in the image of God. And there is nothing ordinary about you. There's nothing normal about you. You have been given the image of God Almighty. And Mark does a great job of showing us how this person transfers from being just another face in the crowd to somebody special. And then in verse 27, the word says, she had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched her ro- his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Now, this is a, a rather radical thing that this lady's doing. It may not sound like it to us, you know, in our 21st century context of, of doing that, but Jesus had developed quite a following by this time. And for him to, to be accessible to a single person was pretty difficult. So she had to work hard to get where she was going to touch Jesus. She also broke the law. She was also in violation of the Mosaic law as she disregarded the fact that according to law, she was ceremonially unclean. And so as she would have approached a crowd of people, she would have been required by law to actually tell people in advance, hey, unclean person coming through. So, so let that add to the fact now, now you're, you're learning some things about this lady, is that for at least 12 years of her life, she has been an outcast of society. She has been relegated, basically treated very similarly to the way a leper would have been treated as somebody who had something like a contagious disease that could infect somebody else. She was ceremonially unclean. And for her to go out of her way to find somebody to touch them would actually have been punishable under the law. So she is risking so much. She is working hard. But God honors the radical. God honors somebody doing something crazy sometimes. I think, we, like, I think we need more crazy in our churches. I think we need more crazy in our community. I think we need, not, not, well, not like some of it. Some of it's just crazy, crazy. I'm talking about Jesus crazy, right? We, you know, we, we, need, we need some more of that Jesus crazy that when we're at work or when we're at a store or when we're living life, that, that, that we're okay with doing bold things, with bold faith, for bold reasons, and that's to see people experience, not just hear about, but experience the love of Christ. You know, when is the last time you just stopped somebody randomly in a store and said, hey, the Holy Spirit told me to pray for you. Can I pray for you right now? When's the last time you've done that? Some of you, you don't do that anymore because you don't go inside stores anymore, and I get that too, um, because, you know, grocery pickup's pretty amazing. But that sounds, you know, we, we would call that radical, right? And first of all, let me just tell you, it's not radical. It might be radical for you. It's radical for me even. You might think that that would be easier for me because I stand up on a platform all week, but that would be exponentially harder for me and is exponentially harder for me than doing this right here. 
It's, this is my comfort spot. I'm actually pretty comfortable up here most of the time, except for when I say the dumb things that in my mind I go, shouldn't have said that. Then, I, then I'm not comfortable. But talking to somebody one-on-one, that's the place of discomfort for me. That's the place where I have to be submissive and obedient to the Holy Spirit instead of doing what I want to do. God honors the radical. God honors the crazy. And the Bible tells us that immediately she was healed of her terrible condition. Really and truly what happens there is that God honors faith. God honors faith. Faith is, is like the currency of heaven, y'all. Faith, there is something about faith. I'm gonna, I, I'm, I've actually felt it in my heart to do a deep study, for me personally, just on faith, what faith is, what faith looks like, how faith impacts a life, what faith can do in my life, what faith can do in your life. I've been reading Hebrews chapter 11 like crazy the last couple of weeks because there's something about faith that God honors. And a lot of times I think I have faith, but if I really do a, a deep examination of my heart, my motives, and my intentions, I found out that I don't really, it's not always faith that I have. It's, it's more like a, a, a test, a, a trial, trying to see if something works. But God honors faith. It goes on and it says, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look. Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking to see who had done it. Jesus realized that healing power had gone out from him. And then in verse 33, it says again, the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. She's trembling not because she's been healed. She's trembling because she's afraid because she knows what may happen to her. She would have been known by people in that area to be somebody who was ceremonially and religiously unclean, somebody that wouldn't or shouldn't be in the middle of a crowd, but instead of, of, of doing what she was supposed to do, doing what the law told her to do, she pushed through the crowd, she got to Jesus, and then she laid hands on Jesus. She touched him. And, and, and Jesus was considered, at this point in time, a rabbi. He was considered somebody that had disciples, somebody that had followers. He was becoming a relatively well-known name in different communities. People were protecting him. You've got the disciples that literally were his bodyguards around him. And now this person comes out of nowhere, is unclean in her, in her body, and touches Jesus. And so she is worried that, that I'm going to be punished. I'm going to be hurt. I might even be executed for doing this. And she comes to him and she falls on her knees in front of him. And she's tells them what she had done. It's at this point where I just imagine her sitting in front of Jesus. And, and first of all, can we just have a little sympathy for Jairus over here who's got his daughter at home? And, and Jairus all the time is like, Jesus, who cares who touched you? Come on, man, we've got to go. Let's go. But this lady on her knees in front of Jesus says, Jesus, for the last 12 years of my life, I haven't had a friend. For the last 12 years of my life, I've looked at happy couples, having children, starting a family, and I've wished I could have what they had. For 12 years of my life, I have not felt the touch of another human because I would make them unclean. And so it's against the law for me to even have physical contact with another person. For 12 years of my life, I have spent every dime I've got 
More than likely, this lady is homeless. She's also extremely sick. For 12 years of my life, Jesus, I've gone to every doctor I could find. I've tried every medical experiment. I've done everything. that I've jumped through every hoop. I've spent every dime. And Jesus, up until this moment, I've been so sick, I thought I was going to die. But when I touched you, I wasn't sick anymore. And then in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now Jesus knows, or at least could have known, who touched him. He could, he could have, in that moment where she grabbed his robe, his cloak, he could have been like, oh, that is... What's a good name? Somebody, let's name her real quick. Susan, that was Susan. It's a great first century Middle Eastern name. Yeah. That was Susan. She touched me. She's well. But I don't want to embarrass her. I'm not going to call her out in front of everybody. I don't want to freak her out. I'm not going to scare her. And he just keeps on going because, you know, I got to get over there and heal Jairus' daughter. But Jesus takes the time and he stops. And he, and he makes her come out of a place of hiding to reveal herself, to reveal what she's done. So the question, and a really good question, is like, why did Jesus do that to her? Well, the reason Jesus did that to her is because her miracle wasn't over. It was really just a, a part of what she needed from God. And the only way she could truly be healed and be made whole was to come out from the shadows, right, and put everything on display and be vulnerable and say, here's my guilt, here's my shame, here's my pain, here's my problems. Every bit of it, Jesus. This is all of it. This is all of me. Not just my physical problems, but God, I got spiritual problems. I got, I got, I got things in my head that just aren't right. I've got relational problems. God, I, I got problems. And in that moment, because of the goodness of God and because Jesus is such a good Savior, not a mean old man in the sky, right? Not ready to throw lightning bolts every time you say a bad word or do something you shouldn't do or think a bad thought, right? No, instead, it brings him joy to forgive us. It brings him joy to heal us. Jesus, in that moment, is not trying to embarrass her, but he's trying to show her that your physical healing is only part of what I really want to do for you. And the first thing he says to her, Guys, this might be one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. He doesn't say, woman. You know, remember the, the story starts off and it says a woman in the crowd showed up. She pushed through the crowd. The woman touched Jesus. Jesus doesn't call her woman. He doesn't call her Susan either. But he looks at her and he says, daughter. Because to Jesus, she is not just a nameless face. She is a child of the king. Jesus in this moment is giving her a new identity. Where she goes and she transfers from being a woman in the crowd to a daughter of the king. John tells us that to all who did believe and accept him, that he has given us the right to be called children of God. You know, Jesus could have healed her physically, but if he didn't heal her identity, she would still have just been a woman in the crowd. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus says, that my robe didn't heal you. 
In fact, what he's essentially saying is, I didn't even heal you. Your faith and who I am is what healed you. And what's beautiful about that for us is that is available to us today. See, I can't find physical Jesus and go touch his robe. I can't have physical Jesus even spit in my eyes. And if I, even if I could, my eyes are okay. I'm all right. I, I, don't, I, I can operate just fine without these, okay? He gave her a new identity. Then he healed her body. Faith healed her body. I am, I am fully aware that today is like a weird day. It's weird because we lost an hour of sleep, or at least you did. I didn't. I went to bed early, okay? It's weird because it was the beginning of spring break and we had snow. It feels kind of, if I'm just being really honest with you, and I might, even, I might surprise you by saying this, it's kind of an odd church day. That's okay, right? And I want to say this, and, and, and I'm, this is going to sound simple when I say it. But I believe, I mean, I really do believe that even today, if you're going through something physically, that Jesus can and even wants to heal your body. I don't, I, it doesn't matter that it's a, a strange day. It doesn't matter that, that it snowed like 30 inches yesterday. It was a bit of an exaggeration. That's preacher math. That's how we do it. I mean, you have in church say, oh, I was like three, 400. I don't know. So, I'm just kidding. Don't, I don't do that. Um, Jesus wants to heal you. He said, your faith has made you well. Then he says, go in peace. So he gives her a new identity, he gives her a healed body, and then he gives her a renewed mind because Jesus is peace. And he tells her, listen, for the last 12 years of your life, maybe, maybe even before that, you have, you have not lived in peace. You have lived in worry. You've lived in anxiety. You didn't know where you were going to get your next meal from. You didn't know if you were going to have a place to lay your head at night. You didn't know if you were going to have anybody in your life to, to depend on because you have been sick. You have been ceremonially unclean. You haven't had relationships. You haven't had anybody else you could depend on. You have been an outcast of society. And so today, I want to give you a new identity. No longer are you a woman lost in the crowd but you you are a child of God you're a child of the king and, and, and so I want to give you a new identity today it's like this is like Oprah Jesus like you know like when Oprah's like and you get a car and you get a car and Jesus is saying I want you to have a new identity I want to give you a new body I want to give you a new mind hey and also let's go ahead and just make things right with God and he says your suffering is over so not only do I want to give you a new identity not only do I want to give you a healed body not only do I want to give you a renewed mind but I want to give you a redeemed spirit That's the first perspective. And so today, I just want to say this to you. That if, if, if you need something for the, from the Lord, can I just tell you that He delights in it when you come to Him with a need? You know, there are times with my kids, they come to me when I'm preoccupied and I'm doing something else, and they need me to do something for, for them. And sometimes it annoys me because I'm not a perfect father like AJ or, or Don. But sometimes it does. Right? Right? Is there anybody, does anybody, nope, okay. Just felt a little judgment there. Felt a little, little 
condescending eye glares from you guys. But most of the time, I can honestly tell you, being able to take care of my kids is something that I enjoy. It's something that I love to do. You know, one of my favorite, I, was, I went to Walmart yesterday, right? Which, first of all, that's a miracle. I don't like that place. And I was walking through the toy section because I had to go to the bathroom. And I was walking through the toy section. And I literally stopped and looked at all these toys throughout there. And if I knew my wife wouldn't have got mad at me, I would have bought them each a toy. But she would have fussed at me, so I didn't do it. Because I like to give my kids toys. I like to give them gifts. I like to do good things for them. The Word says, if you earthly fathers, and I think we could include mothers here as well, if you want to do good for your kids, if you want to give them good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father, who is perfect, want to give good things to his children? So here, I just want to tell you today, if you have a need, listen, you don't have to push through the crowd. You don't have to feel like a lost face among a bunch of other unknowns. No, you can go to your God freely. You can go to your Father with confidence that He wants to hear from you, that He wants to bless you, that He wants to heal you. And listen, you may have prayed for healing before, but listen, pray again. Ask Him again, and don't stop until He speaks audibly and He says, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep believing. Keep pushing. Keep working. And listen, a lot of times the reason we do not have is because we, we get weary. This is Bible right here. And doing good, right? And we give up. And we've prayed once or we've prayed twice. We may have even prayed ten times. And we think, okay, I guess God just isn't going to do it. But what if you prayed eleven and then he did it? So don't give up. Be confident that he's a good father. Be confident that he loves you right where you are. And be confident that God wants to heal you. That God wants to help you. Listen, you might be struggling with something mentally, something spiritually, something emotionally. And just as much as God can heal a sick body, God can heal a mind. Just as much as God can touch a physical ailment, God can touch a heart ailment. Just as much as God can provide for you financially, he can provide for you relationally. Because God takes joy in getting to be your provider. You know, he told the church in Revelation, he says, you're need, uh, no, no, no. He said, you are, you are rich and you think you have need of nothing. And for that, I, want to have, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You don't realize that you're actually blind and naked and poor. And this is what he's trying to say. He's saying, you think you don't need me. But in fact, you do need me. As Americans, we love our independence. But as believers and followers of Jesus, we've been called to be fully dependent on our Heavenly Father. That's the first perspective. The perspective of a woman who becomes a daughter. But there's somebody, well actually there's something else in this story I want to bring, if you'll bring that to me. This is where it's going to get weird. You thought it was weird already. Doesn't my wife look amazing today? Thank you. What? What? Somebody said something funny. Does anybody know what this is? It's a robe. This is a really nice robe, by the way. I ordered the largest size they had. And if not, if it wasn't so big, it swallows me. Um, Like, this could fit Shaq, right? If it wasn't so big, I would be keeping this. But alas, I cannot. So I need, I need a big man. I need, I need a big man. Go ahead, Shane. Come on up. He beat you, Matt. 
You could have got a brand new robe. All right, don't put it on, though. Just stand right here. Everybody give it for Shane. Are you thirsty? Okay, good. I wasn't going to give you any of that anyway. So she, the Bible says she had heard about Jesus. You're going to be Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd, and she touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. So today, not only do I want to talk about the, this story from the perspective of the woman, I want to talk about this story from the perspective of the robe. <laughs> the robe plays a pivotal part in this story, you guys. Because really and truly, that's the only thing she got a hold of. So the robe is, is worth talking about a little bit. So let's talk about the characteristics of Jesus' robe. First of all, as you will see by looking at this robe, sorry, I'm putting my feet on your robe. First of all, if you'll look at this robe, you find out that it's actually not really much of anything except some, what do you think this is made out of? No. No, this, this, is not, this is not that kind of church, man. We don't, I don't know what it is. Polyester, right? Something like that. But, but really and truly, it's nothing right now. It's just, it's just there. It's just taking up space. Now, how many, how many of us, when it comes to the kingdom, we're just taking up space? We're not doing anything to contribute. We're not doing anything to expand the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. <laughs> Is it because I went over there? I won't do it again, I promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, Go therefore into all the world, preaching the gospel, that whosoever may believe would be saved. Then baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you follow Jesus, you have to be an active follower of Jesus. You can't be a passive follower of Jesus. They're, they're, they're not, that's not possible. And there will be, and I hate to say this, but I need to say this, and you need to hear this. There will be people who've been to church every Sunday of their lives. But when they see him face to face, he will tell them, depart from me for I never knew you because you never were passionate about, you never knew him well enough to become passionate about the things that he's passionate about. And the thing that he's most passionate about is the gospel and preaching the gospel and living out the gospel and furthering the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. It's hard, but it's true and you need to hear it. So for a lot of people, we're just taking up space. In other words, this robe is nothing without Jesus, right? Remember, you're Jesus. Right now, this robe is nothing without Jesus. Jesus even says himself in John 15, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you might say, well, that doesn't make sense because I can obviously do some things. I can obviously, you know, do a few things physically here on earth. But what Jesus is, in fact, saying, apart from me, you can do nothing that even, that actually matters. Apart from me, you can't do anything that matters in eternity. So, Without Jesus, the robe is nothing. The robe is powerless. The robe is just taking up space. Now, go ahead and put the robe on there for me. And good luck trying to figure out where the right holes are. That's a hood. It's huge, isn't it? Now, when I was a kid, I was in a Christmas play playing a wise man at my church. And um, this brings back memories of wearing my dad's bathrobe for that play. And that's a true story. That really happened. I wore my dad's bathrobe in a, a Christmas play at my church. Now, 
the next characteristic of, of Jesus' robe, first of all, it's nothing without Jesus, right? It just takes its space. But the next characteristic of, of Jesus' robe is that it, it is shaped by Jesus, right? It is shaped by Jesus. It's formed by Jesus. And the closer it gets, sorry, I just, you know, let's just, let's just do that. Let's, 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 here, here you go. Here, do the thing. The closer it gets to Jesus, the more it takes on the shape of Jesus. I said the closer it gets to Jesus, the more it takes on the shape, the form, the look of Jesus. And there's a lot of, a lot of men and women who love Jesus. They love the church. They love people. But, but we're, we're not pursuing him the way we should. We're not seeking him the way we should. We worship in churches on Sunday morning, but we go home and we go to work and we do life. We don't worship like that any other time. And then we show up to church on a Sunday morning and, and, and we think, oh, the worship was good today. But can I tell you, friend, that the worship should be good every day because the worship isn't about you. The worship is about Jesus. And when the worship is about Jesus, it's not just relegated to an hour or so on a Sunday morning. It's a part of my life. It's the way I live. It's how I talk. It's how I speak. It's, I did it again. Go back over here. You like my little hop there. Worship can't just happen on a Sunday morning. It has to happen every day. So the robe, the closer it gets to Jesus, the more it looks like Jesus. The next thing about the robe is that it was, in fact, touching Jesus. See? It's, it's on there. So even when I touch this, technically I'm touching Shane too, right? Sort of. For this message, technically, it was nothing without Jesus, but with Jesus, it's shaped by Jesus. Now it's touching Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, since, or so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God there, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. The robe was nothing without Jesus. The robe was shaped by Jesus. And then the robe was touching Jesus. So when the woman pressed through the crowd, her goal was to touch something that was touching Jesus. The way God wants to use you to impact our world, our community, your place at work, your, peop- your friends at school, wherever it may be, is that you would be touching Jesus, that you would have hold of him, that he would have hold of you, and that you would literally stand in the gap. And that's what the robe did. The robe was just, it took up the space, it took up the in-between space when she got a hold of it. And because it was touching Jesus, there was power that came out of Jesus that changed her life. And because of its position in relation to Jesus, it was pursued. Remember, before she even approached the crowd, the Bible says that she said within herself, if I can just touch his robe, or if I can just get just the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I want to tell you today, friends, that When you get close to Jesus, people will pursue you because they will want what you have because they will see something in you that's unlike what they have in them. We talk a lot about, you know, sharing our faith. We talk a lot about, 
you know, witnessing and evangelizing and all that. But I, I, you need to know that if you get close to Jesus and your, and your life is changed by Jesus, or rather, if your life is shaped by Jesus, if you have direct contact with Jesus every day, which it's available to you. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't always take advantage of it every day. But we know we're nothing without Jesus. We're formed by Jesus. We're touching Jesus. Then... We're pursued by others because of what Jesus has done to us. So, in essence, what happens is as we take hold of Jesus, the world will take hold of us. And the unclean, because of us standing in the gap, will become clean. All right, everybody get up for saying, you can have that robe. It's yours. I don't, I don't want it back. Don, will you help me? It's a good, it's really nice. I'm a little jealous. My birthday's coming up, just saying. I think Julie needs a new robe. You know, from a legal ritual point of view, the robe should have been destroyed. Because someone who was unclean had touched it. And the robe should have been destroyed. There's another Bible story in the book of Numbers where it's, it's a crazy story. First of all, Numbers is way more interesting than you think if you've never read it. Where God basically sends a plague on the people of Israel because they just keep complaining. Can I just tell you, side note, God does not like complainers. Just FYI, be careful with that. Because he might kill you. <laughs> I've read the Old Testament. Um, but then God tells Moses, hey, make this serpent, or you know, do all these different things, raise your hands over the people. And there's this verse in Numbers that says, speaking of, of, of Aaron specifically, it says that Aaron stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. Aaron stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. And essentially, that's what Jesus has done for each one of us. Even on the cross, physically, it was displayed in, in a physical example. It was as if Jesus took hold of heaven in one hand and our sin in the other hand, our, us, and he bridged the gap that had been there since Genesis chapter 3. It, it was as if he was holding on to the hand of the Father. And then holding on to the hand of humanity saying, let me, let me fill this divide. Let me stand between the living and the dead. The found and the lost. Let me bridge the gap. And Jesus for each and every one of us has done that. He's bridged the gap between the living and the dead. So before I do anything else, before we go any further, I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to ask you this morning two questions. First of all, are you close to Jesus? Or do you want to be closer? And the second question I want to ask you is, do you need a special touch from him today? 
Maybe it's healing in your body, your mind, your spirit. Maybe a relationship that's struggling. Maybe it has to do with financial provision. But you need, you need something from Him. And I want to remind you again that that's a good thing. To find yourself in need from God is a good place to be. Because He is a good God. He is a good Father. And He delights in giving good things to His children. So today, if you're far from Him, or not as close as you wish you were, would you lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you right where you are? Father, I pray for these men and these women all around the room. If you're watching online, that's you. Let us know in the comments or send us a message. God, I pray that you would instill in us a passion like we've never had before. Not just a passion for your presence, but a passion for your word. A passion to be busy about the king's business. A passion to be close to you, to be shaped by you, to make contact with you. Lord, I just pray for every heart, every, every person that just lifted their hand, everyone that feels far from you. God, even in this moment, that they would feel your presence in a very specific and noticeable way. Now I want to pray for you if, if you need healing, if you need a touch from him. If that's you today, one more time, would you lift your hand high in the air? You need the Lord to touch your body. Now, I want to invite everybody to open their eyes and look around. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now let's stand up. Keep your hands up. Everybody stand up. You need healing. You need a touch, whatever it is. Put it real high. I know you might be embarrassed. I know you might be thinking, oh, I don't want anybody to, pay, I don't want anybody to look at me. But, you know, God rewards the radical, right? Now, if your hand is not up, I want you to look around. If your hand is not up, I want you to look around. And as Don takes a few minutes to lead us, would you go to somebody whose hand is up? Would you gently put your hand on their shoulder, take their hand, whatever it is, and would you pray for them? You may not know what they're going through, but would you take time this morning to believe with them, to pray for them, to pray that God would move in their body? Come on, let's do it now. I know it's, we're just embracing the different today, okay? We're just embracing the different. Come on, lift that up. There's, some, there's a couple right here, a gentleman and a lady. I believe God still heals. I believe that miracles are for today just as much as they were back then. I believe that God wants to do a work in our lives. I believe God wants to heal bodies. I believe God wants to bring peace. I believe God wants to give joy. I believe God wants to restore relationships. I believe God wants to provide for us in our finances. Come on, pray. Let's pray out loud. Let's pray. Make sure they can hear you. When we hear the prayers of others for us, it builds our faith. It strengthens our own faith. And if you're joining us online and you want prayer, let us know. Let us know so we can pray for you as well. for everyone that had their hand up, Father, I pray that we would find you as our healer, that we would find you as our provider, that we would find you, God, to be 
gracious and good and kind and loving. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as we're getting ready to dismiss, I want to remind you of our call as followers of Jesus that we would walk out of those doors and that we would stand in the gap in our lives for this world, that we would stand in between the living God and the dead, those that need a revelation of Jesus. That we would be like a robe, right? That we would realize that without Him, we are nothing. That we would allow our lives to be shaped by Him. That we would be close to Him. And that because of our transformation that's happened to us, because of our closeness to Him, as we stand in that gap, that people would pursue us. And they would say things like, what what makes you different? How are you able to, to have peace right now? How do you have such joy? I'll tell you, and you may disagree, but if, if people don't think that you are weirdly happy and joyful and peaceful sometimes, you're probably not doing it right. That we would stand in the gap between the living and the dead. That we would be promoting a culture of life, the kingdom of life in this world that needs Jesus. That we would be like a robe. I know it's weird, but that we would be shaped by Him. That we would be close to Him. And then we'd make a difference for Him. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place today, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you are such a good Father, that you love us, that you care for us, that you heal us. God, that you take joy in providing for us, that you are there for us no matter what, no matter what has happened or what we've done or what we've said or what we've thought. Lord, that there's never a moment in our relationship with you when you would say something like, oh, I don't even want to look at you right now, or oh, I don't even want to see you right now. But God, no matter what, you are always there. You always want to hear from us. You always want to have relationship with us. And God, we're so thankful for that open door of love because of Jesus. And so God, as we go, that you would help us, that you would anoint us, and that you would use us to stand in the gap in this world. Lord, that we would stand between the living and the dead, that we would stand in the middle between you and this world that you've called us to love, and that, Lord, that we would be more passionate for the Great Commission than we've ever been before to preach the gospel. Lord, that we would preach the gospel with our words. God, that we would preach the gospel with the way we live. God, that we would preach the gospel with the peace that we have, the joy that we can't contain, God. And and the goodness and kindness of our heart, Lord, that is extended in this world. And we pray it all in the name and for the name of Jesus. And Lifehouse said, amen. Amen. I love you, church. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise in the house today.